Hello, greetings, thanks for joining us today, and thank you for your interest in spiritual matters. My name's Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ, where disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. What is going on in the Old Testament with this idea of uncleanness? And how should people maybe reckoned unclean be treated in Christ? Because in the Old Testament, there are some people who were declared unclean. A lot of them were ritually unclean uh, because of a temporary situation. Uh, they maybe touched a dead animal. Uh, women, when they had their uh, monthly period and things of that nature in Leviticus chapter 15. Uh, and they would have to go through some ritual cleansings, and then they would be able to be uh, considered ritually clean again and be able to continue in their lives. But there were some who were declared ritually unclean uh, on a much longer scale, uh, almost permanently, because of a chronic condition. And in Leviticus chapter 13, uh, we see a very long litany, a very long chapter, describing the situations of what we would consider leprosy, various kinds of skin diseases. And the chapter goes in great detail about the person going before the priests, what the priests are looking for, the per, how the person be declared unclean, uh, if the it goes away, you know, what, how they would have to uh, purify themselves, um, things that may look like it could be uncleanness, but really is not. Uh, but then in verse 45, the text provides provision for the person who has leprosy. That the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let their hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And we can look at that and we can understand what's going on, especially uh, in these days uh, of COVID-19, that this is a quarantine. Uh, leprosy, there are various forms of leprosy, probably Hansen's disease is what was in view here, um, is very contagious, and other people can become leprous because of it. And so uh, it was necessary for those who uh, suffered from this condition to be excluded from the rest of the population. Now that isolation is the way to limit infections. That's why today in modern health, the goal is to isolate those who have come down with certain kinds of diseases so that the spread of the disease will be stopped. So we can understand the scientific logic behind such a quarantine, but we shouldn't diminish the human cost for that quarantine because consider what the life of the leprous person now looks like. They are humiliated, and it's a very difficult life. They are excluded from society, viewed as outcasts, and are suffering from this condition. They need to keep away from other people in, in, in explicitly, and we can imagine that it was not a fun time, that it was a very uh, miserable existence. And so we have, therefore, in the law, this provision about uncleanness, and uncleanness as it relates to particular situations uh, that involve some kind of physical thing uh, because of physical contact or because of some disease. Now it's one of those things that's not hard to see how this happens where a concept that exists on the material uh, sphere and the material um, plane is then kind of elevated and moved into something else where uncleanness will 
also becomes something that we see take place on a spiritual level, a kind of ritual defilement type situation. And we see that there are certain people, uh, because of who they are or what they do, who are thus considered as unclean. And this is what we see in, in the Gospels. And when we talk about uncleanness, we're not trying to say that there's nothing that can lead to defilement or that defilement is great. Neither of those are uh, really what the New Testament or the Old Testament have in mind. But what we are trying to do is look at, okay, as Christians, how do we treat those who are reckoned as unclean? Because when we look in the Gospels, we can see the response to uncleanness uh, manifest uh, by, for instance, the Pharisees. So in Matthew chapter 9 and in Luke chapter 7, we both ha we have two situations in which the Pharisees uh, see Jesus engaging with somebody they would consider to be defiled. Now, the Pharisees were known as such. Uh, the word for Pharisee kind of comes from the word for separate. Uh, because they felt that they wanted to be uh, separated from the uh, people, that they were seeking a level of holiness, they were seeking uh, to uphold the law to a greater degree than many of the people around them. And so, uh, in this separation, in Matthew chapter 9, for instance, we see uh, that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners, and the, the Pharisees ask why they, he does this. In Luke chapter 7, we have a notable Pharisee who's invited Jesus to dinner, and this very sinful woman comes and you know, bathes his feet, basically, in her tears. And he thinks, if he knew what kind of sinner this woman was, he wouldn't let her do that. And we see that the attitude there. And we can see where that attitude comes from. So we look at the story in Luke chapter 10 of the Good Samaritan. We see that there's a man left for dead and that the, the priest and the Levite go walk on the other side. And we can chastise them for their heartlessness and their carelessness. And they're clearly uh, not looked upon favorably in the story, but you can imagine that they would have some concern about their ritual purity. If he is in fact dead and they touch him, they would receive a ritual impurity. And that would be perhaps sufficient justification for them to keep walking on by. Um, so we see that that exists in the material plane. But now the Pharisees have taken that same idea and looked at it in terms of a spiritual plane. Uh, seen very vividly in John chapter 9 when the Pharisees confront the man born blind whom Jesus has healed. And... They say, you were born entirely in your sin, and yet you would teach us. And they cast him out in verse 34. They see him as utterly defiled. His blindness was clearly the sentence of God, that he was to be marginalized and, and separated out. He is, you know, in an untouchable caste, so to speak. Uh, now, does that mean the Pharisees had nothing to do with people of the sort? No, I mean, in... Matthew 6, we learn about the fact that they would give alms and would proclaim the trumpet when they would give the alms so everybody would see them. Uh, they would certainly see uh, people who were ritually unclean. Perhaps some of them they could you know, give money to in ways that people could see that look at how holy and pious they are. They are giving to those who are in need. Uh, but you can tell that they did so from a very patronizing, separated uh, way. See how much more blessed I am and how I can provide my largesse to you. Um, and so we see 
always that Pharisee, that level of separation. Uh, and in that is probably a desire to act like they were, you know, they, they're going to keep all that away so they don't have to suffer it. Uh, that somehow that will help them be the exception, that God will bless them and so that they will not become as these people are. Now, we, we compare and contrast that to the way Jesus deals with people who are in some kind of defilement or uncleanness. And he's confronted by lepers and unclean people. And he has compassion on them. And he heals them. And we see this very vividly in a later section of Matthew chapter 9. Where there is this woman, we're told in verse 20, she has suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years. Uh, now, in you go back to the law, anybody who has that kind of discharge is unclean as long as that discharge continues. So this woman has been in this state of ritual impurity for 20 years. So, 12 years, excuse me. So that's a very long time, and so she is defiled. Now, the way that defilement works in, in Leviticus is that defilement and holiness are communicable properties. So if a person, like this woman, touches something, that thing becomes unclean. So whatever bed she was resting on now is an unclean item. Anything, any kind of implement she used becomes unclean. And therefore, anything that comes into contact, any person who would come into contact with this woman would receive ritual impurity and would have to go through purification rituals in order to be considered clean again. Uh, thanks be to God that in the New Covenant, we don't really have to worry so much about ritual impurity in terms of uh, physical uh, material contact. So we're told that this woman touches the fringe of Jesus' garment in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 20. 20. Now, if he were a Pharisee, he would... You know, if he had found out how this had gone down, he would very likely be very annoyed and pee because now he has received ritual impurity. That she has touched him, he is would now be ritually impure, and he might upbraid and chastise her because of that. But what does he actually say? He says, uh, he turned in verse 22 and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And innocently the woman was made well. Because she had the faith that if she touched his garment, she would be made well. Um, so we see here that he is able to absorb that ritual impurity and to provide cleansing, provide healing, provide wholeness. Because his holiness through faith could spread. Because again, holiness is also a property that can be communicable. And there's there's a story behind this, right? That Jesus did not have to then go and be, you know, go through all the things to become ritually pure again. He absorbed that impurity. He absorbed it and was able to communicate cleanliness, communicate wholeness, communicate holiness. And that's powerful. And it shows what Jesus is about, that Jesus saw people in that situation and he touched them. He recognized them. He identified with them. He was present with them. And of course, it goes back to his response to the Pharisees who asked him, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so what Jesus is trying to do in his life and work is to kind of turn the tables on how people look at and treat 
the unclean people. Now, he's doing that with many other things as well, but especially we can see here in terms of how you treat the unclean people. Because we don't today have the regulations in place about ritual impurity in most instances. And I say in most instances because we do have our social customs and about certain kinds of things that are defiling, quote-unquote. You know, when you go to the bathroom, it is expected that you then wash your hands. And the reason why you wash your hands, we can use all the scientific stuff we want to talk about the communication of germs, and that's certainly a big part of it, but it's also because uh, you've come into contact with substances that we generally consider defiling. Uh, the waste products from our body. Uh, we also expect um, a lot of issues of impurity and cleanliness when it comes to the medical field, uh, where anything that comes into contact with blood is considered biohazard. Uh, and, of course, like we said, especially when you have um, uh, outbreaks of disease, the importance of quarantine and isolation and, and trying to isolate uh, those suffering from the disease so that uh, the disease does not spread. So we do have that kind of idea of, uh, of issues of, of dealing with impurity, but that's a purely cultural level thing. It's not something that we have as a fiat from on high um, that there are actual unclean people walking around because they have ritual defilement. Uh, that is not something that we have in the New Covenant that we can see in Romans 14, Hebrews 7 through 9, um, many other places. But there are people who suffer from disease, as we know. There are a lot of people who are social outcasts. Uh, people who are reckoned as unclean. Not necessarily because of something physical, though it's certainly possible. But it's the kind of people that people would fi rather find a reason to forget than to recognize and accept. So we can think about homeless people. Uh, especially homeless people. Uh, people who suffer from certain diseases. Um, it was that way about AIDS for many years. Uh, the other diseases where people think that they've somehow brought that upon themselves, especially. Uh, poor people. A lot of times, poor people in general. Uh, and you know this by the terms that are often used for it. Ghetto, white trash, etc. Drug users. Uh, and even the people in the Old Testament, right? The, uh, the, sinner, the sinning women, i.e. the prostitutes. We can probably think of a lot of other people. And you think about uh, the reactions that people will have when they see uh, people of this sort in their daily walk of life. Uh, a lot of times people will take a very Pharisaic perspective and they want to create distance lest they somehow get contaminated. Uh, they did not want to be tainted by association with sinners. And so they would create that separated space between them and these people. And they would create physical distance if they could. And they, of course, created much more spiritual distance uh, where they had reasons. You know, they are the sinners. They were born in their sin. Uh, we have come to understand things better. Uh, they brought this upon themselves. If they had only worked harder, if they only had done this or that better, we find reasons to blame them for their circumstance to cr justify the space that we've created between us and them, but also to uh, rationalize the space between us and them because the last thing we want to feel in this posture is that it, we could become like them.
And that's the reason why you can very easily create this kind of separation and to have this very Pharisaic separated attitude between uh, ourselves and these people that we have deemed unclean, the sinners. But is this the way of Jesus? That's the way of the Pharisees. Jesus saw people in that kind of situation and he felt for them. He felt compassion. He saw them. He recognized them. And he recognized that God loved them too. And that by the grace of God, uh, anybody could be like them. When Jesus responds and says to those Pharisees in Matthew 9, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are ill, he's, he's recognizing that the people with whom he is eating have difficulties and issues. He's not trying to suggest that he uh, <clears throat> is approving of sin and extortion. Uh, that might be how he would be thus slandered, but he was not actually justifying any of their evil. Uh, he ate with them because they were ill and needed the great physician. And... Consider that Christians are to reflect who Jesus is and the heart of Jesus to people. And especially consider in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus explains the final judgment in this scene and provides this parable of the final judgment. And he says that the the sheep, those who are on his right, that they are blessed by his father in verse 34, uh, and they received the kingdom that has been prepared for them, because he was hungry and they gave him food. He was thirsty and they gave him drink. He was a stranger and they welcomed me. He was naked and they clothed him. He was sick and they visited him. He was in prison and they came to him. And those who did these things, the righteous, will answer him, uh, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And he will tell them, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That Jesus takes the extraordinary step here of encouraging his disciples not just to consider the needs of those who are uh, often forgotten about society, but in fact to see him in them, to see Jesus in those people who are marginalized, forgotten, left out, considered unclean for whatever reason. Uh, The sick, those in prison, those who are naked, those who are in need of food or drink. Now, does it ever mean that we legitimate people in their sin? No, we don't legitimate people in their sin, but we see that people are more than their sin. We see that there is a person who deserves to be loved and cared for regardless of what they have done. Not because they have deserved it, but because God has made each and every one of us, and by the grace of God there, we would go, and that God has loved us when we are most unlovable, and the love of God has been poured out richly upon us, independent of our perceived worthiness, because none of us are truly worthy. That's the core message there in Romans 1 through 5 is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have earned or deserve what we have received in Jesus. And that in Isaiah 59, our sins have separated us from God. And did God thus say, well, you, those people are defiled and unclean in their sin, and therefore I'm going to have nothing more to do with them? 
if God had the attitude toward us that we have toward those whom have been de deemed unclean by society or unclean by the quote-unquote religious authorities of the day, what would happen to us? And of course, beyond anything like that, which of course should be far and beyond the more important thing, how are they going to hear the gospel unless we come and bring it to them? How can the sick come to the great physician unless we point them in the way to the great physician, as we are called upon to do in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17? So we do well to reflect upon the unclean people, whoever society wants to deem the unclean people, whoever the religious among us want to deem the unclean people, the homeless, those who have various physical illnesses, these days, those who are part of the LGBTQIA community who are in great pain and distress, especially those who are of the transgender community and going through uh, the, the trials of gender dysphoria, uh, those who share different political opinions from ourselves and political opinions that are often deemed uh, unworthy. That would also mean, by the way, the white supremacists among us. And those other, you know, it, it's not one group's particular pet peeve that we should consider, uh, that we need to, to, to consider here. It's everybody's groups of pet people. The people that the other side or our side wants to dehumanize, to consider the other, uh, to that have this taint upon them of impurity because of what they believe, because of the things that they do, because of the situation in which they find themselves, whatever the reason might be for their impurity, quote-unquote. We need to love them with the love of God in Christ. We need to do good for them in God in Christ. We are to show them love and care and acceptance. We must help them see the, the humanity that they have in them and to, in every way, embody Jesus toward them, to love and care for them, to provide for what they need, to support them in any way we can, not endorsing or legitimizing what they are doing that may be wrong in the sight of God, but to remember that it is not our place to stand in or sit in judgment of them, but instead to love them and show them compassion in the name of Jesus. And that's another one of those really dangerous things, very tempting, that we become the judges as opposed to becoming those who provide the love and encouragement and the gospel of Christ. Because after all, who needs the care of physician but those who are ill, those who have been deemed unclean, those who yearn to be recognized for being human beings and to be loved by God and in his sight. Therefore, let us embody Jesus toward people who are reckoned as unclean. Let us associate in the world with the tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees among us will wonder what we're doing and will slander us for thus doing. But if we do so, we therefore are picking up and obtaining the derision that came against our Lord and Savior. And it is far better for us to be known as the kind of people who will connect with the tax collectors and sinners and thus embody Jesus than those who in their uh, perceived holiness and righteousness stay back and condemn and wag fingers at other people 
uh, for thus doing and thus incur uh, the condemnation of God as uh, the Pharisees certainly did according to Matthew chapter 23. And therefore we really have to ask ourselves, when we are confronted with somebody deemed unclean, are we going to respond like the Pharisees did? Or are we going to respond as Jesus did with the love and care and compassion that God has? Let us consider these things. Let us seek to embody Jesus to all people. And let us see the humanity in our fellow human beings, uh, not merely their defilements or what makes them unclean, and to show them the love and compassion that God would have us to show to them. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. We're so thankful, Father, for the blessings of life that you've given us, for all that you've done for us in Jesus, for the fact that you love and care for us, even though we have sinned and fallen short of your glory. We pray, Father, that we might be able to show the love that you have shown to us toward other people, especially those who are not loved, those who are deemed unclean, those who have transgressed greatly and have, and have gone far from you. Those who are in prison, those who are sick, those who have been written off by others in our society, and those written off by the religious people. We pray that we would have the opportunity to show the love and compassion of Jesus in every opportunity that we have, and that many will come to a knowledge of your truth and be saved, and glorify you on the day in which your Son returns. We pray, Father, that you would heal those who are ill, that you would comfort those who are mourning or in distress and pain, that you provide for those in need, and you would preserve life in the face of disaster and difficulty. We pray that your justice and righteousness would flow on our land and around the world, and that the powers and principalities and their wicked designs would be hindered, uh, and that your righteousness and uh, glory would be displayed throughout the whole world. Uh, we pray that you would guide and direct us in your ways until your Son returns, and it's in his glorious name that we pray. Amen. We're so glad that you've joined us again today. We'd love to hear your thoughts about what we've talked about, about who the unclean people are, and how as Christians we are to uh, work with and, and, hand, and help those who are uh, considered unclean, and why it's so tempting for us to be like the Pharisees and want to separate ourselves from those deemed unclean. Or if you have other questions or comments, uh, we can be of any service. Please reach out to us in the comments where you found us and subscribe there. Uh, you can reach out to us also at our website at venicechurchofchrist.org. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We again thank you. Have a great day.